I'll say it again. Good morning, saints. Will you be so kind to stand for the reading of the Holy Word? My name is Margaret. Today's, yeah, today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ till we all obtain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of God. Be so kind and have a seat. <laughs> all right, well, you know the heat is bad whenever I'm wearing my shorts on stage. <laughs> So I apologize. I also kind of feel self-conscious about these shorts because they're kind of like flesh-toned. <laughs> People may have different reactions to that, and that's fine. Um, that's not what the sermon is about, however. Uh, I wanted to start with this. There is a Christian psychologist, counselor, sort of recognized expert on abuse and trauma, even specifically spiritual abuse and trauma, named Diane Langberg. Um, a few months ago, the elder team here at Dorf Hope Northeast, we read her book together. It's called Redeeming Power, subtitle, Understanding Abuse and Authority in the Church. Um, and I'd recommend it to anyone. You don't need to be a pastor to benefit from this book. I'd say if you are a Christian and you are in a position of, of leading people in any capacity, I think it's well worth considering uh, what Diane Langberg has to say. It's full of super valuable insight. Um, but one of the things that she points out, um, well, she says this, quote, power, power is inherent in being human. Even the most vulnerable among us have power. How we use it or withhold it determines our impact on others. She points out that, you know, God has given in his, in his love and in his grace and in his mercy, in his generosity, he has made his world in such a way that he shares his power with his created image bearers, with you and with me. He was not content to hoard it all for himself, though he is all powerful, though he, there's no sense in which he lacks power at all. He chose to give it away. Not fully. Should, maybe the better way to say it is he chose to share it with us. Um, in a fallen world, though, his commitment to sharing power, to give humans real agency in this world that he's created, uh, suddenly uh, takes on a dark undertone, does it? We now, having the capacity for sin, have the ability, each of us, to use that power either to serve and to love and to lift up other people um, or to crush them or to abuse them, to use that power selfishly for our own gain. Or again, to use it for the care and the uplifting of others as Jesus modeled perfectly. 
And you know, we're swimming in a cultural world where, where philosophies that celebrate, uh, legitimately celebrate the selfish use of power have gained massive influence. Um, and usually that's subconsciously, because I don't know a whole lot of people who self-consciously would say, yes, I would love to selfishly use and abuse power over against other people. In fact, our culture is rallying against that idea. Nonetheless, I've talked about this before, but the, the writings of late 19th century philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, he, he argued at every turn against what he called the slave morality of the Christian religion, because he said, Christianity is a religion that incentivizes humility, gentleness, self-restraint, generosity, even service, um, which it does. That, that's what Jesus modeled for us. If you are a Christian, you are called to a self-denying, self-sacrificing, generous, service-oriented expression of your faith. I hope you realize that. He says that's bad. That's bad. Nietzsche says, humans, instead of that, that keeps people docile, that keeps people complacent, that keeps things from really moving forward. He says, instead, humans should free themselves from ideas that limit your self-expression and instead pursue the will to power at any cost. We need to become the overman, the ubermensch, the superman, not the comic book character. The philosophical idea, the one who distinguishes themselves from the pack to be over the pack says that's what it's all about. And there are all kinds of little uh, catchphrases and pop cultural ideas that are kind of downstream of that idea. You just do you. You do you. Sounds innocuous enough, but man, that is the will to power. You j it doesn't matter how it affects anyone else. You just do you. That's Nietzsche commodified for the TikTok age. <laughs> There, couldn't, there almost couldn't be a stronger opposite to the God described in the Bible. Um, who, 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 again, possessing infinite power, chose to share it with his creations, his image bears that he loves. Our God is a God who needs nothing, he needs no one, but nonetheless freely chooses to empower his people and invite them into the joy and love of his purposes. Think of the Garden of Eden. He, he made this beautiful world, this beautiful garden for his people to, to dwell in. He said, this is good, it is good. Now cultivate it. Implication, make it even better. Take this raw material and make something beautiful and there's no, there's no, it's not a surprise that when we look to the end of the biblical story, Revelation 21 and 22, the picture of where we're gonna be living into eternity future, it's a garden, but now with a massive city built around it. It's the new Jerusalem coming down from the, God and man dwelling in the city, but the garden's there and the tree of life is there and every, the river of life is there and everything's perfect. Like if we had not fallen, we would still have built cities and made art and partnered with God in cultivating this beautiful world he's made to make it even more hospitable. Isn't that amazing? God would trust us, trust us with that power. And we botched it, of course. <laughs> That's the story of the fall. That's Genesis 3. Uh, but he's not done with us. That's the story of Jesus. The redemption and salvation that he provides. So, what do we do with all this? Well, first of all, we should pray. We should pray because this, this touches on our, our subject for today. We've been talking about throughout through, uh, this series the fact that one of the things the Holy Spirit does in the life of the Christian, the life of the believer. Once he's come into you, he's baptized you, he's made his home in you, is he empowers you. He empowers you. And it's really important <laughs> that we understand what that power is supposed to look like.
So let's pray. Father, we uh, are here again for you. Um, there could be a million other reasons why, why someone may have wandered in here, uh, but Lord, we pray that for all of us in this room that are yours, that are your people, that have, have bent the knee to Jesus, who've trusted you, uh, we pray that you'd clear away all that debris, Lord, and just make, make us single-minded, that we might encounter you, that we might submit to your word, Lord, that we might uh, worship you in response. And as Evan prayed, Lord, I, I just ask for your empowerment of my words. Lord, if I say anything that's off the mark or whatever, just get rid of it, Lord. May truth be spoken here. It doesn't really matter what I think, Lord. It matters what you've declared in your perfect word. Put that forward, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series, Spirit and His Gifts. Uh, where we've done a few things. We've introduced who the Holy Spirit is. We've, we've talked about the fact that uh, he is the, he's the third person of the Trinity. He is God, God the Spirit. Um, said a bunch of other things about him as well. But we've, then we moved on to talk about the amazing reality that, that after Jesus ascended on the day of Pentecost, he baptized, Jesus baptized his people with his Spirit, which enables the Spirit to make his home within his people, and that we now live on the other side of that. And so when you trusted Jesus, that happened to you. Whether it was like dramatic and crazy and felt supernatural, or whether it was as simple as a decision to declare your obedience and faith in Jesus, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. He lives in you, never to leave you, never to leave you. We then talked about the fact that though we have a, a baptism with the Spirit that will never leave, he, he can have more or less influence on us. And, and the, uh, Paul uses the language of the filling of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, that you can allow him to have more or less control over you uh, as you yield to him. And we talked about what that produces when you're filled with the Spirit, the normal things that produces. And then last week, Josh talked about uh, just the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that is produced over the course of a life lived in intimate fellowship with the God, um, with God, with the Spirit within us. It produces something in us. It produces Christ-likeness in us. So those are all crucial things. We now turn to another thing you've probably thought about. Uh, maybe some of you have been weirded out by. Maybe some of you have been confused by. Maybe some of you have been really excited by. And that's the idea of the gifts of the Spirit or uh, spiritual gifts spiritual gifts. Um, we're going to take several weeks to look at this because it's really complicated. And there's a bunch of controversies in, this, in these waters, and so we are going to uh, take them as we need to. Uh, but today, um, we're going to start in Ephesians 4, 7 through 13, which Margaret read for us. Um, we're going to start there. That, that's going to push us to do three things today, and then we'll move on from here. Today, we're going to define what, what is the meaning of these gifts we're going to look at the ones that, that Paul mentions specifically in this passage of Ephesians, kind of bring some definition to what are these specific five gifts that he mentions, and then we're going to talk about the purpose of the gifts, and that's going to tee us up for the weeks to come. Um, so let's jump in. Let's jump in. I'll read the first few verses again. Uh, Paul writes, but grace, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he's quoting the Psalms here, he's kind of, he's kind of um, it's kind of more of a paraphrase of, of one of the Psalms. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. 
And he gives a parenthetical statement in saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Here, here's Paul's point. God has given grace. He's given grace and he's given a gift through Christ. And he's given these gifts to men. And then he said, he gave, verse 11, he, he lists these gifts that he's given. So we're in the realm of gifts, spiritual gifts, gifts given by God, given by Christ, given by the Spirit to people. And I first want to acknowledge uh, that there's mystery here. Part of the reason there's so much divisive debate and disagreement and theological controversy over these gifts is because it's not always super clear the ways in which the various passages relate to one another and are these talking about the same thing or are these different or what? And so we want to tread lightly knowing like that there is mystery here and it is undoubtable that we are going to like describe some of this wrong. Like when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to be like, how oh, you had that one wrong? And we'll be like, okay, can I still uh, be here? And he'll be like, yes. <laughs> yes, you can indeed. My grace is sufficient, dear child. Um, so there's mystery. There's mystery. But here's, here's my best attempt to try to untangle some of these knots. First, I, I, we've got a bunch of info here. What are the spiritual gifts? I, I first, so we've, we've seen some terminology here. Grace. So, so grace is a term that's frequently connected with the spiritual gifts. We see Christ's gift here. Um, and, but, but, but this isn't the only passage. So, so in our passage, we, we could summarize as grace gifts from Christ. That's what he's talking about. Romans 12, gifts of grace. And that, there's a different Greek construction there. I won't get into it, but it's, it's phrased slightly differently. That's not the same as he, talks, as he uses in Ephesians. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, 1 Corinthians 12 is kind of one of the key chapters, one of the most detailed chapters, the most detailed chapter on these things. He, he uses this word that's often translated spirituals, spirituals, the spiritual things. Uh, then he goes on in verse 4 in that same chapter, gifts of the spirit. That's kind of traditional terminology. Verse 7, he says manifestations of the spirit, appearances of the spirit. Uh, and then in 1 Peter, Peter calls them gifts for service. So already you see there's varying ways we could talk about spiritual gifts. But I, I do think at the end of the day, spiritual gifts is a very fine uh, term to use. It's great. Um, it's a great umbrella phrase that kind of summarizes the way the New Testament talks about these. But, but what are these things? Okay, we're talking about them in these different ways. There's these different lists. There's these different descriptions. Here's a basic definition I think that will work for us. And I, I broke it up into three parts with those ellipses. It's spirit-empowered abilities. So this, this is the God of the universe. And you don't, we don't have to unnecessarily separate. It's not that the spirit at the expense of Jesus and the Father being involved in this. Um, God himself, but we might zero in and say the spirit, empowers these abilities. So these are supernaturally empowered. They're not things that we just generate in and of ourselves when we're talking about spiritual gifts. Second, they are freely given, this is really important, freely given by God to each of his people as he sees fit. So we don't earn them. We don't work for them. They are freely given. They are gifts. Gifts. You don't, you don't earn them. They are gifts given to each. And each is important. That means we're going to see over, over the course of these weeks, every single one of us has spiritual gifts. Whoever you are, if you are in fact a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you, you've been baptized by the Spirit, if you're a Christian, that is true of you, then it is the case 
that you have received some spiritual gift or another. There is no one that this does not apply to, to each of his people as he sees fit. That as he sees fit implies that what we're getting at there is that this isn't, uh, it doesn't matter how bad I might want to be a prophet, for example, given the gift of prophecy. It doesn't matter. He's going to make me a prophet if he wants to. That's not up to me. It is as he sees fit. As far as I know, he has not made me a prophet. But it's up to him. It's up to him. And then finally, last phrase, for the purpose of maturing the church community. They are outward. That's going to be a, we're going to get there here in a few minutes in a heavy way. That is a key part of what they're, what we must understand is that they're not primarily for you to feel encouraged. They're not primarily for you to feel spiritual. They're not primarily for you to sort of feel like you've got some cool superpower. It is for growing your brothers and sisters sitting right here next to you. That's what it's for, for maturing the Christian community. So a few quick questions, then we're going to get into it. One, how many gifts are there? I'm just going to rattle through this stuff. Probably countless. All the lists we have in the New Testament include different numbers of gifts. gifts and n- none of them include all of the gifts that are listed elsewhere. So we don't have an exhaustive list anywhere in the New Testament. What that probably means is that those are just representative lists. And there are potentially endless spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives to his people um, that are not defined in the Bible. You've got to be careful there when you, when you go beyond what's explicitly stated. We could certainly talk about the ones that are only talking about the ones that are explicitly mentioned, but nonetheless, I think the Spirit is up to a whole lot of things, and He's gifting people in a whole lot of ways, uh, potentially ways that aren't even listed in, in the New Testament. Who has one? Again, every single disciple of Jesus is given at least one spiritual gift for the betterment of the church community without distinction. There is no class of person who's a believer who is not given spiritual gifts. Number three, there's some debate over whether these are new sort of God-given abilities or whether they are like sanctified natural talents. And what I mean by that is before, some of you, before you became Christians, had incredible talents. Maybe you're a great public speaker or something. You're just, you just are. That's not a spiritual gift. You're just a great captivating public speaker. And then you become Christian. And then you're a really captivating Christian public speaker or teacher or something. Um... I would say that's a spiritual gift, but it doesn't, it's, it, we don't have to view it with suspicion because that person already had that natural talent for speaking. I think that the picture is that it could be either. Some of these things, there is no sort of precedent for it. It's like prophecy. You're not going to be a prophet if you're not filled with the spirit of God. That is a new power, like a clearly miraculous power that the spirit bestows upon you. But public speaking or music or whatever, like things like this, like these things are things that it's, it's, it's almost as if the raw materials of who God has already made you to be, he's sanctifying and using in the context of the church. That becomes a spiritual gift, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's enough on that one. It's both. It's both. And then a final question that comes up a lot is, are the spiritual gifts permanent or transitory? Like, do they come and do they go? Or is it something that you always have at all times and are always using? And I think the answer is clearly both. We see examples of both. We see certain things come on believers for just a quick moment. I'm going to, oh my gosh, I'm like this person is prophesying or or, or healing gifts in the New Testament. Someone is healed miraculously. 
Interestingly, you almost don't ever see, I don't think you ever do see in the New Testament someone recognized as having the gift of healing like always and pervasively. Otherwise, I I think you would see in Paul's writings like, hey, go find Jessica. (laughs) Like if someone is sick, go find her. She has the gift of healing. She will be able to heal you every time. You never see that. You see people praying for healing. You see the commands to pray for healing. You see the implication that people are miraculously healed through people in the, through God working through people in the local church. But it seems to be something that comes and that goes. But then on the other hand, there seem to be gifts that are just sort of always with someone. They're just kind of always operating in that. And that's the usual way that it's talked about. So all that to say, a lot of complexity in this, a lot of mystery in this. But I, I wanted to just kind of lay that groundwork before we, before we move forward. So there you go. Quick, quick way we could talk about how the gifts are expressed. Key point right now, I want you to hear this again. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been gifted in some way by the Spirit of God to make this church community a healthier place than it would be without you. That is the, that is the case. It just is the case. Um, your gifts are needed to make this community healthier and more like Jesus than it would be if you were not here. If you are a Christian, that is true of you. And we'll come back to that. Okay, so I've gotten something of the lay of the land. Let's, let's take a few, let, let's just take a minute to take a look at the, these few examples that Paul gives us in this passage. So again, Ephesians 4, he says, and he gave, verse 11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Again, this is one list among many. This does not include all of the gifts. This is a few. What we see in these are a couple of things. One, this list appears to be a list of certain gifts that we typically associate with kind of church leadership. But this is just one of the four lists in the New Testament. So I think he's, he's kind of highlighting a specific kind of realm of gifts that have to do with leadership here. Second, secondarily, Paul speaks of the spirit-filled, gifted people as the gifts here. You see that? He's talking about the gifts that Christ gave to the church. And he gave, then he starts talking about gifted people. Prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, apostles. That's kind of unique. Some of the other lists, they, they, they talk about the gift more in abstract. Here he's talking about the gift as the people. This is really important. And I don't think it just applies to these gifts that he's mentioning here. Listen, listen to me. Believers discovering and serving in the ways they've been empowered by God, they become gifts to the church. That is true of you. Whatever your gifts are, as much as it's true of anyone who uses one of these little silly Britney Spears microphones. <laughs> that is the case. Discovering how he has gifted you supernaturally, even if it seems really mundane, nonetheless, supernaturally, to benefit this community and using it, you become a gift to this place. That's really important. So now he's talking about these specific ones. Let's just give a quick, a quick, what is this? First, he mentions apostles, or perhaps the gift of apostleship. 
There's a few senses in which the New Testament uses this word. Um, the first is this. It's, it's the eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus specifically empowered and commissioned by Jesus to go and kind of fulfill this specific role. So when you talk about the apostles, you're talking about the 12, you're talking about Paul, you're talking about a couple of other people who, had, who fit this specific criteria of being the capital A apostles who they were building the foundation of the church across their lifetimes. That doesn't exist anymore. Capital A apostles, they died. Most of them were brutally killed for, following, <laughs> for, for doing what they did and for following Jesus. So that's, that's, uh, that's a primary sense. But that, so if, if, if that were the only thing that the New Testament meant by apostle, we'd say, okay, so that gift doesn't exist anymore. That's, that's something that came and went in history. But there's also the sense that the New Testament uses the word where it talks about any believer who is a sent one, any apostle, lowercase a, who's sent for a specific purpose. I think a good way to think about this gift, uh, I, I'd say it probably, we probably can still talk about it functioning today, and we, we describe it like this, possibly a gift for sort of entrepreneurial ministry of the gospel, sort of like church planting missionaries, people who just have this, this gift and this effectiveness and this desire and this passion um, and God is blessing the work to go start new ministry things, to travel, to go, to be sent out from one community to another, to, to kick something off. Um, I think of uh, our, our friend Sean in the Middle East. Sean, I know Sean listens sometimes. It's like crazy time difference. Uh, hey, Sean, if you're listening, we've talked about this. We love you, buddy. Um, and you are probably functioning in this gift, the gift of apostleship, lowercase a, in your ministry where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Um, apostleship. There you go. Second is prophecy. Prophecy. Prophets or the gift of prophecy. And this is the gift of receiving and communicating direct revelation from God. And there is a lot of debate over whether this one is active today or not as well. Um, and in fact, we're going we're gonna to kind of rope this one in with the gift of tongues and do a whole week dedicated to unpacking. Like, what is this? What ought we to think about this? So we're just going to pause that. But I think, fair definition, the gift of receiving and communicating direct revelation from God. God speaks through you to other people. It's a gift of prophecy. Then he mentions evangelists or the gift of evangelism. That's the gift of special effectiveness in sharing the good news of Jesus with others. We are all commanded to share the good news of Jesus with others. If you're not gifted in this, tough luck. <laughs> and that's the case for me. I do not feel at all like a gifted evangelist. I don't believe that I have this gift. But there are some of us, some of you perhaps in this room, who are gifted with just, a, you just have a special favor with people when you're talking and sharing and asking questions and communicating that people's lives, they open up their hearts and their lives. They're receptive to you for some reason. And maybe you're, you've had a lot of effectiveness in leading lots and lots of people to faith in Jesus, to sharing the good news with them and seeing responses. Um, the church needs these people desperately in every place. And that's what that is. Special effectiveness. Sharing the good news. The fourth, shepherds or the gift of shepherding. Um, shepherding is uh, a translation from this Greek word uh, poiomen, 
which, which just means, which just means it, it literally means shepherd, but we translate pastor from that. So when you hear shepherd, you should think pastor. When you hear someone say pastor, they're talking about shepherds. Pastoring and shepherding are the same thing. And uh, that, we would say that that is the gift for pastoring people through care, through oversight. Uh, church elders are often described as, as shepherds, though um, I don't think it's exclusive to that office because it's a gift. It's a gift that lots of people can have regardless of the office. Um, and communication of God's word. Uh, those are the I- key ideas associated with shepherding, with pastoring, caring for people, overseeing and communicating God's word. And then finally, teachers, or the gift of teaching. And this is just a gift, a gift for the special ability to explain and apply God's word. And in the internet age, it's, easy, it's really easy to find amazingly gifted Bible teachers. You know, the, the, that's probably one of the greatest things like about podcasting and YouTube and all this stuff. We have such a wealth that people who are just exceptionally gifted can be heard by everyone. It's not confined to any one locality. And some of my, like I've been formed so much by gifted teachers from afar. And that's amazing. Um, so yeah, you've probably uh, seen someone who, who you'd recognize the, the gift of teaching in quite clearly. So Paul, Paul lists these here. Here's five. Common thread is probably some kind of, some kind of emphasis on church leadership in this list. Um, one thing I just want to note here, because this, this, gets, uh, this can be missed in, in churches. Um, none of the gifts, none of the gifts are gender specific. Know that, right? Um, anytime that the New Testament talks about the, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, these are things that are given to all. And that, that fits with when you, we remember Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He's quoting the book of Joel, prophecy in Joel. It says, I will pour out my spirit and the young men and the young women will prophesy. He's already laying the track that like these gifts, prophecy, these other kinds of, these other kinds of spiritual supernatural gifts, they aren't for one sex of humans. They're for us all. Um, so s- specifically, you know, you get into things like in the, in the American church, it can be kind of weird even like thinking about women teaching men. And I think that's kind of a tragedy. And there's reasons to get into some of those New Testament texts and understand what Paul meant something with some of his prohibitions there. And uh, that's a topic for another day. But I think as a baseline, we need to recognize women. You're, some of you are gifted to teach. And you need to have that, fa- that flame needs to be fanned. And you need to be empowered. And you need to be invited. And you need to be trained. And you need to be given platforms. And we really want to do that here at Dwarf Hope Northeast. And that goes for any of these gifts. Um, so I just want to say that. There is no gift that if you suspect, like, man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm gifted in this way, <laughs> that you have to go, oh, no, there's no way I am because I'm female. <laughs> Or there's no way that I am, because I'm a man, for that matter. All the gifts are available to all of God's children. That distinction. We'll leave that one there for now. So we turn to our last question. What are the gifts for? What are the gifts for? And that's where, where Paul goes in the last couple of verses here. Verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. 
So he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he goes on. He, he, flesh, he even fleshes out that description of, of what that maturity looks like as he goes throughout the rest of the chapter. But we'll stop there for now. We see two clear purposes here. Number one, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. These gifts are given, again, for the benefit of other people. This, whatever gifts you've been given specifically, and we have to say this about people like me sitting in the pulpit teaching here as one of your pastors, I am not gifted to be the professional minister who does everything at this church. One of the key functions, to the extent that I'm not even sure half the time if I'm even gifted at this stuff, but to the extent that I am, it's to empower you in your ministry as well, that this place might be healthier. It is to benefit you. It is to see you equipped, trained, developed, invested in, made space for here. It's to see you grow in your ability to serve and to lead and to do and to, to, to live out all that God has for you in the exercising of your giftings, whatever they are. That's purpose one. Purpose two says for building up the body of Christ. This flows out of the first one, but it, it's until we all attain to the unity of the faith for the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The end result is that this place would be more and more and more and more mature and Christ-like over time. That's why we're gifted. That's why all of us are gifted. That that would happen. Um, I love in his commentary on Ephesians what John, John Stott says. If you know John Stott, though, he, he died a few years ago, a great Anglican minister. He wrote, what model of church then should we keep in mind? Commenting. And when we think about this passage, what does it mean for our model of church? He says, the traditional model is that of the pyramid, with the pastor perched precariously on its pinnacle, like a little pope of his own church where the laity are arranged beneath him in serried ranks of inferiority. It is a totally unbiblical image because the New Testament envisages not a single pastor with a docile flock, but both a plural oversight and an every member ministry. Not much better is the model of the bus in which the pastor does all the driving while the congregation are the passengers slumbering in peaceful security behind him. Quite different from either the pyramid or the bus, is the biblical model of the body. The church is the body of Christ, every member of which has a distinct function. And we'll, we'll talk a lot about that when we get into 1 Corinthians 12. But the metaphor of that, that body metaphor is, is the one. It's the one the Bible uses. Take a body, every single part is necessary for the healthy functioning. And if, if we all think that, let's say the mouth, like people who teach, people who have the microphone, whatever, that's, that's where the magic is. Imagine the David Cronenbergian horrific image of a body made up of all mouths. Someone weird, some weird filmmaker has probably done that. Or you're just, and you don't want to see it. And it's like a disgusting blob of saliva or something. 
But that's, the, that's what Paul's getting at. Like, if we were all feet, or we were all hands, or we were all arms, or whatever, it, it, it's, it's a horror. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If anyone thinks that they are gifted enough to just be the person who does all the ministry, it's a cosmic horror. Or, conversely, if anyone thinks that they don't actually have something legitimate to contribute, they're mistaken. The body image is that we all are necessary for this place, for this community to function at all like we're meant to, which is Christ-likeness. The fullness of Christ is what we're after, and it takes us all. That's what he's getting at here. So we're going to conclude here. We're going to conclude here with, with two big ideas. The first is this. These are really just summary, but I want to emphasize that we can't talk about spiritual gifts without talking about the gospel soon after. Spiritual gifts are blessings of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come. He has died in our place to redeem us, to save us, to forgive us, to restore us into right relationship with God the Father. They're a blessing of that gospel. Because Jesus has accomplished all this for us, now the Spirit can be within us. He can make his home within us. Jesus purchased that for us. And then he can empower us. The gifts are blessings of the gospel and they are in service of advancing the gospel. Again, it's, the goal is, is maturity in Christ and it's seeing new people come into the fold. The spiritual gifts are the result of the gospel and they are for, once again, emboldening and advancing the gospel. The gospel is at the heart of everything. Jesus is at the heart of everything. They are repeatedly connected to God's grace. They come through grace. Again, the terminology that's used, grace is always there in the peripheral of the conversation about spiritual gifts. It's grace, another manifestation of God's grace, freely given according to God's generosity. And, and it's, it's the gospel enables it, and then there's real empowerment by the Spirit for living as gospel people together, for growing as the church. And these gifts enable the gospel then to go forth in greater power, enabling greater gospel proclamation and teaching and action. So, spiritual gifts, you cannot separate them from the gospel. They come through the gospel. They're the result of the gospel. They point us to the gospel. They advance the gospel here and to our neighbors who don't know the Lord. Amen? Second, you can't talk about the spiritual gifts without soon after talking about community. You can't. See Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. He says, there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. They exist with an outward focus for the good of others. Peter in 1 Peter 4, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. To return to our original idea, God, the, the all-powerful God of the universe, that, that the Bible claims is real, that he, he exists, he is there. He is there. He has always been there. He has chosen in his wisdom, in his love, and in his generosity not to just snap his fingers and see everything he wants come to fruition in an instant. I don't know why he hasn't done that. But he hasn't done that. Instead, he has chosen to use his people. That is you. 
That is you. To be the vehicle through which his kingdom purposes come. It was this way at creation. It was this way through the nation of Israel and it is now still this way through his church. What a privilege. What the things God wants to do in this world, he is not content to do it without you and without me. So, for the next couple of weeks, as we look at different aspects of the spiritual gifts, as we dive deeper in this, I just, I, I want you to fight to not let the relationship of these things to community get severed. Because again, it's really easy to be like, oh, this is amazing, like me and Jesus, and I'm just, I feel so spiritual, and I feel so, you know, whatever. That's not what it's about. It's for the common good. It's to serve one another. It's for your neighbor. It is for building up the body of Christ. It's for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It's tempting to think of these special abilities as special abilities that we basically encourage ourselves with, but in reality, they are always primarily brother and sister oriented. That's what they're for. And you know what? Your brothers, whoever, I'll speak to all of you, I'll look at everybody. Your brothers and sisters need you. They need you. They need your gifts. They need you to figure out what your gifts are. They need you to figure out how to cultivate those. They need you to figure out how to use them. They need your stinking pastors to start being intentional about creating spaces for you to use them. That's what, that's what they need. So as we continue exploring the spiritual gifts over the next few weeks, just know the agenda is to help every one of us discover how we are gifted and how we can each play our part in making this church more like what the Spirit has for us and for receiving the same from those sitting next to you. Amen? By God's grace, that's where we're going. For now, let's pray.